Some politicians develop a catchphrase, a line they say so often it's like their own personal motto. Think strong and stable or get Brexit done. For Rishi Sunak, it might just be this. Stop the boats. Stop the boats. Stop the boats. When I said at the beginning of the year that we would stop the boats, I meant it. At the start of the year, Rishi Sunak made stop the boats the fifth priority for his government. They will not stop coming here until the world knows that if you enter Britain illegally, you will be detained and swiftly removed. In order to stop the boats, Rishi Sunak and his Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, have introduced the Illegal Immigration Bill, which is currently working its way through Parliament. Removed back to your country, if it's safe, or to a safe country, a safe third country, like Rwanda. And that is precisely what this bill will do. But the bill has faced a strong backlash from human rights organisations and the church, who point out that it's not just stopping illegal immigration, it's also stopping all genuine claims for asylum, which would be against international law and basic human rights. But earlier this week, the Prime Minister flew to Dover on a charm offensive to bang the drum for his flagship bill. Before I launched my plan in December, the number entering the UK illegally in small boats had more than quadrupled in two years. But in the five months since I launched the plan, crossings are now down 20% compared to last year. But do those figures give us the full picture? Are the government's plans on migration working? And when it comes to small boat crossings, is this really a crisis or a political weapon? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, can Rishi Sunak really stop the boats? Get Brexit done, stop the boats. Simple, very understandable, but is it achievable? Matt, I think I can hear Big Ben behind you. You in the middle of um, watching all the latest political movements from from the coalface. It's nice to have Big Ben chiming again. Um, it's good fun, especially when you're on deadline and every 15 minutes you're reminded that you're getting closer to that print deadline. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Matt Dathan. I'm the Home Affairs Editor of The Times. I'm speaking to you today from a, a room in Parliament. Matt, take us back to earlier this week when the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, arrived in Dover and held a press conference. This morning I've been out in the channel with our new small boats operational command. And the whole experience just reinforces how tragic, morally wrong and profoundly unfair this situation is. We've got organised... You were there. Just describe the scene to us. Tell us what it was like being there and tell us what he was doing there. Yes, well, uh, a group of journalists was invited to his press conference, which was being held at a secure location, which is the Western uh, Jetfoil processing site, just off the harbour in Dover. That is where Border Force bring in migrants who they've rescued from the channel. 
and the, the idea is that they are only there for a matter of hours. Certainly, the aim is to get them to the main processing sites in Manston and elsewhere on the same day. So yeah, the Prime Minister was doing his press conference from this site, but that was about 11am on Monday morning. Before that, he had been taken out on an early morning uh, trip into the channel to see what it's like for a border force rescue operation. So he was taken out on a, a rib, a sort of a dinghy, taken in about a mile off the coast of Dover, and a border force cutter then came and picked him up, literally. The border force cutter lined the, the Rishi Sunak's rib at the stern and then he was winched up just like they would on some of the migrant rescue attempts. So it was, it, the Prime Minister was literally going through the motions of what it was like for, to be a migrant picked up by the border force a mile off the coast of Dover. And how did he seem to respond to it? Well, I wasn't there, but I was shown a video of, from one of the border force officers afterwards. They said he was uh, he coped very well, given it was very rough conditions. The waves were about half a metre. The swell was apparently about what, one to two metres. It was quite a windy day out uh, out at sea. They had a hundred sick bags on board, but he, they weren't needed, thank, thankfully. And as he stood there, delivering this press conference, across the podium was the slogan "Stop small boats," and that seems to have become his motto. It's a key part of government messaging at the moment. Just tell us a bit about that. When did that become the policy? Uh, that was on the, I think it was the 4th of January, the first Monday of the year. It was part of his five priorities for his government before the next election. Fifth, we will pass new laws to stop small boats, making sure that if you come to this country illegally, you are detained and swiftly removed. It did surprise some people because it's a policy that's very ambitious if you think about the scale at which the numbers have increased over the last four years. 45,755 migrants crossed the channel in small boats last year. He's pledged to reduce that to zero before the next election. That's a very ambitious pledge. But is it achievable? He thinks it is. Many others don't think it is. And Matt, just stepping back, just remind us of how big a problem this is that he's taken on. You've said this is an ambitious plan. How big a problem are small boats? I think everyone agrees that it's a big problem simply for the safety of those on board. It's an incredibly dangerous journey, 21 miles, often more, because you don't just go straight directly across the channel. They often run out of fuel, so they're floating in the middle of the channel waiting to be rescued. That's incredibly dangerous. And these small boats are not safe boats. They're often just inflatable dinghies. Absolutely. And actually on Monday, when we visited Dover for the press conference, Border Force showed us just how dangerous these boats are. And they're getting more dangerous. They're up to 13 metres now. Very makeshift, inflatable. They don't really have a proper base. The base is often just plywood. It's, it was just really quite um, shocking to see just how dangerous they are. So that's the first reason why it's such a big problem. It is horrifying to think what these people are going through. It's also a problem, a lot of people would say, because of the numbers and how they've been going up. Just give us a sense of how the scale has changed. Yeah, small boat crossings uh, started uh, as a phenomenon in 2018. Told you a moment ago that Sajid Javid, the Home Secretary, who cut short his Christmas holidays, has announced that there will be two border force vessels redeployed from their current duties to help patrol in the English Channel. It was described as a, a, an emergency by the then Home Secretary Sajid Javid. Well, today, I held uh, meetings with senior officials from the Home Office, from the National Crime Agency and the Border Force to see what more we can do, both here at home but also with our French friends, in protecting uh, our borders. This incident around the Channel it remains of very serious concern to me and that's why I declared it as a major incident 
a few days ago. It's about and that was only when about 300, 400 people had come across in small boats. 2019 saw just under 2,000. 2020 saw 8,500. 2021 saw 28,000 come across. And then that rose last year to 45,000. This year, the worst case scenario modelled, forecasted by the Home Office, was forecasting about 80,000. The best case scenario for them was the same as last year, which was 45,000. But actually, so far this year, numbers are slightly lower than they were over the same period last year. So we've had 7,610 as of the date of the Prime Minister's press conference on Monday. And that is about 23% lower than the 9,954 migrants who had crossed over the same period in 2022. So it, the scale has shot up, but it is now slowly going down again. But just give us a sense, because people who hear those numbers and are shocked by them should also have just a sense of, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had net migration figures, which caused much more alarm. But sort of in terms of legal immigration going up, that's much bigger than the numbers coming on small boats. Just give us a sense of, of the difference. Small boat arrivals last year accounted for one in 25 of all those arriving in the UK, according to the, you know, when you compare it to the net migration figure. So 45,000 small boat arrivals, and there were, I think, one point, almost 1.2 million migrants arrived to legally last year. So yeah, if you, if you compare it to that figure, it's very small. But the government would say, look, this is uncontrolled immigration and adding to an asylum system which is completely overwhelmed and adding to housing stock, which is already under demand, and the backlog of asylum claims is it has reached 173,000. So they would argue they're two very different issues, and illegal migration must be something that they clamp down on. It isn't something the government controls, the, this flow of people coming in. Just give us a sense of why we think those boat crossings have gone up in recent years. What, what's happening? I mean, one of the reasons is because there's been a huge rise in the number of irregular migrants, we must call them, entering Europe because of the general increase in global migration caused by um, climate change, caused by conflicts in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, for example. We must remember that I, th I think last year Europe saw about 330,000 irregular migrants uh, enter and obviously 45,000 uh, came to the UK. Um, but the reason why they're coming across in small boats rather than other means is because once you show how successful a route is, smugglers can then advertise that more and more. We have luckily only seen only a handful of fatal disasters, um, the most recent in December when four migrants drowned to death. So it is seen as sadly quite a successful route when you compare it to smuggling in the back of lorries and the trains and, and other means. And the security of the Channel Tunnel, for example, the, the Calais security of the ferry crossings is just incredible. It's, it's almost looking looked like a prison now when you go to Calais. So it's so much harder to smuggle yourself back in the back of uh, vehicles. So that's probably one of the reasons why. And Albania has been a big in, a reason for the increase last year. And you see so, so many smugglers advertising now on, on social media platforms such as TikTok. Welcome to London! And to drive up demand, adverts like this on TikTok are being aimed at Albanians. This one offers dinghy for UK with safe passage. Advertising for journeys across the channel as cheap as £2,000. And who are the people who are making these incredibly dangerous journeys at the moment? Who is trying so desperately hard to arrive in Britain? It's fascinating, actually, to see the change in the trend of nationalities. One constant over the last two years has been 
Afghan asylum seekers. And that's been a massive phenomenon since the Taliban seizure of Kabul in um, in August 2021. Since then, Afghans have made up the large number of people across the channel in boats. But the other nationalities differ. You've got Syrians, Iraqis and Iranians predominantly in the top five. But last year, Albanians made up the second largest with 12,301 migrants from Albania made the crossing. But Albanians have reduced massively since then. So far this year, only 139 have crossed. And that compares to 2,000 over the same period last year. So Albanians have dropped off. And they've been replaced, intriguingly, by Indian nationals who have come across in large numbers this year. And actually, on Monday, the Home Office published new stats since April, which showed that Turkish nationals are the third largest nationality. And, and that is, they think, because of victims of the earthquake in February have been displaced and are coming over here. And Matt, you mentioned that the number of Albanians has gone down markedly. The government sort of had a policy on this. Does that mean that the policy is working? If you were talking to Rishi Sunak, which sadly or not, you're talking to me, he would say, yes, the deal we struck in December with the Albanian government, which built on the existing returns agreement, the idea was that we would fast track asylum claims from Albanians. Um, so they would either be accepted or rejected within weeks. And those rejected would be removed under a new boosted agreement with Albania. We've returned 500 illegal migrants to Albania and we are seeing far fewer come as a result. He quoted figures that since that agreement was signed in December, 1,800 Albanians have been returned to Tirana. But if you break down those figures, they're predominantly foreign criminals, so not actually asylum seekers. I mean, he's trying to claim that this is evidence of a big deterrent factor, and it's evidence that deterrent factors actually do work. But we're yet to see if that's going to work on a large scale. On that, he stood there in Dover at this press conference saying that the numbers full stop, not just Albanians, but the numbers had gone down. Is he right? Is this his policy since January working? That is a very good question and a question, well, I sadly keep on asking myself. So, I mean, he, the numbers are certainly down, as we said, 23% down last year, but there's still huge numbers, you know, almost 8,000 people coming across in small boats, which is not sustainable and is just not safe. Whether it's to do with his policies is yet to be seen. As we've discussed, the Albanian deal seems to be having an effect, but there's lots of other things that are having an effect. And to be fair, they are linked to to government actions. The deal that we struck with France in March, which agreed to pay France half a million pounds over three years, and predominantly that was to pay for increased number of French police officers patrolling northern France for smugglers and migrants. That has played a role because the French, for the first time, are intercepting more than half of attempted crossings. So the interception rate is now 53% and it was 42% last year. But there are other things as well. For example, TikTok, the video social media platform, has started to automatically remove adverts that's, that includes key phrases such as small boats and other phrases translated in Albanian, for example, because that has been seen as a big factor. Uh, and then there's the illegal migration bill. The government would argue that it, although it's not been implemented, it's still going through Parliament. They're saying that's a deterrent factor because it will be applied retrospectively to March this year. So they would say that migrants are, are seeing that, that, that action is going to be taken against them if they do come. But to be honest, I don't think you can argue that those that Rwanda deal and the legal migration bill is having an effect yet because they haven't actually been implemented and it's yet to be seen whether they will be. But there's one more factor which I think has played a role and that's the weather. 
in January and February, ah. and it's one thing that the Prime Minister admits he can't control. The first two months of the year was particularly bad weather, and migrants only smugglers only do the crossings when the waves are the high limit of about half a metre. So the weather has played a role. Coming up, everyone seems to want to stop the small boats because they're not safe. But not everyone wants to stop the people coming in on them. So what do we know about those people? How many, at the moment, are illegal migrants and how many are genuine refugees who are currently being granted asylum in the UK? We'll have all the facts for you in just a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just talk us through the current process. When these people are arriving in small boats to the shores of Britain, what happens then? So they are initially taken to the site that we had the press conference with the Prime Minister at the Western Jet Foil in Dover, makeshift sort of porter governs. Then they are taken to a slightly longer term, a lot longer term, but medium term holding centres where they are assessed by medical professionals, but also those who can assess their trauma and mental health conditions because many will have had not just the traumatic journey across the channel, but also there might be fleeing conflict or persecution. And then they are processed initially for where they're from, if they're claiming asylum. So I think 95% claim asylum. The idea is that that process is done within sort of 48 hours. Obviously, in October, November last year, we heard about the horrifying conditions at the Manston processing site. The illegal conditions at the Manston Processing Centre in uh, Kent, with around 3,500 people being detained there for weeks on end, at a site intended for just 1,600 overnight. 
Some people were there for more than a month just because the system was overwhelmed. They're then dispersed to alternative accommodation, and that might be hotels or it might be dispersal accommodation, so accommodation that the councils provide for asylum seekers. And the idea is that they're only there for, in the medium term, hopefully up for six months. I think more than half are taking more than a year, so they're often in hotels or a dispersal temporary accommodation for more than a year. They are soon to be using the new alternative mass accommodation, such as the old RAF sites at Scampton, the old military site at Wethersfield in Braintree in Essex, an old prison site in East Sussex, and on the three barges that have been announced. The Prime Minister said the government had bought two more accommodation barges to house up to 1,000 migrants. That, he said, would relieve pressure on communities and hotels. So those will start taking, accommodating migrants from later in June. Rather than paying hotel yeah, bills? Yeah, there's a, because hotels uh, is now costing £6 million a day. There's 45,000 asylum seekers in hotels. So there's about 100, just over 100,000 asylum seekers who are being housed by the state, whether in hotels or alternative accommodation. And about half of those, so about 45,000 to 50,000, are in hotels. And... Of those people, I mean, you mentioned earlier that about 75% are approved. So even though it's being dragged out, a lot of them will have the right to stay at the end of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, the grant rate is, I mean, three, three and four will eventually, after a very long process. So it seems like the real problem seems to be this endless delay that's causing such difficulties. Why is there such a big backlog? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so 173,000 asylum seekers are waiting for their claim to be processed. And that has, has shot up over the last three years as small boat arrivals arrive. I mean, the reason for the delay, I mean, some people are a bit more cynical and think it's a deliberate slowdown tactic by the Home Office to make it so unattractive to claim asylum here that you'll be waiting for months on end uh, and then it might put off people from coming or claiming asylum. But the, the reality is that it's just an con- incredibly inefficient process. People come, who come across the channel in small boats typically do have far less evidence documentation for where they are to back up their claims for asylum so that naturally takes longer for home office caseworkers to work through there was a report by the an, an audit done by the um, UN's refugee agency published last week which found that home office asylum caseworkers are completely overworked undertrained so on average i think it's just it's just under less than one asylum claim per caseworker processed each week and that needs to quadruple if the Home Office is to clear a backlog of 92,000 asylum claims by the end of the year, which is what the Prime Minister pledged. That's so interesting. So if they want to stop spending six million a day on hotels, etc., one way of doing it would just be to have better trained staff, more staff and more efficient staff. Yeah, that's right. And to be fair to the Home Office and the Prime Minister that they have realised that and they've announced that the number of asylum case workers will increase to 2,500 by, I think it's August this year. That has doubled the number that were employed, I think, back in the autumn. So it is a big upscaling of staff, but obviously those staff need to be trained. It takes on average nine months for them to be fully trained. We were pouring through the stats, actually, when they were last published at the end of May. And the percentage of the pace at which asylum caseworkers go through the claims from small boat arrivals is tiny compared to the other asylum claims. So last year, about 40,000 small boat arrivals claimed asylum. But of those 40,000, only 1% have been have had their asylum claim processed. And of those 1%, the majority were rejected. So... It suggests, and 
Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, hinted at this, that they are deprioritizing asylum claims from small boat arrivals because if, if you can show that your asylum claim will be processed within a matter of weeks, then the, the, the argument is that they would rush over in even greater numbers and they are actually prioritizing uh. the 30-odd thousand other asylum claims that are made, which we don't really focus on in, as much. And those claims are coming from people who, are, who have come to the UK on other visas and overstayed and don't want to go back to their countries, or they've come through other irregular means, such as arriving off planes without a visa or through the back of lorries, etc. And yet this whole plan is really just focusing on those boats. It's not looking so much at people who are coming via other, other alternative routes. Just take us back to the government's big policy on this. With permission, Mr Speaker, I would like to make a statement about the government's illegal migration bill. Just sp- spell out, what exactly does this new illegal migration bill focus on? What are the main points? He said that anyone entering this country illegally will be detained and swiftly removed. So the fundamental idea is, through this bill, they want to bar anyone who comes to the UK irregularly, i.e. illegally, in the eyes of the government, whether that be for a small boat, whether that be in the back of lorry, or whether it be on a plane without the right visa. There'd be a blanket ban on you claiming asylum. So that would mean that there wouldn't be any asylum claims to process from these people. And the only way you'd claim asylum is through safe and legal routes which don't actually exist in, in large-scale forms at the moment. But the idea is once you've removed the asylum claim, the backlog, then you can create safe and legal routes from, say, countries like Sudan, which is suffering a conflict, and they would be able to claim asylum. And then those who do come would be detained uh, indefinitely, so you would only be able to apply for immigration bail after 28 days, but there's no guarantee that you'd be let out of bail. And that, at the moment, includes children, by the way, unaccompanied children. And then the idea is that with those people in detention, you would arrange for their swift removal within a month of them arriving, possibly a bit longer, to either their home country, so if they came from Albania, back to Albania, if they came from Eritrea, back to Eritrea, or if they can't get, be, be sent back, such as Afghanistan, we do not operate removals to Afghanistan for the obvious reason that the Taliban often will persecute them because they fled. Then they will be sent to a what the government calls a safe third country, such as Rwanda. But the problem is we've only got one deal in place with a safe third country, barring a limited deal with Georgia. And the Rwanda deal is stuck in the courts. The Court of Appeal has heard the government plans to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda are unfair to torture survivors. In December, the High Court ruled the controversial policy is lawful, but several individual asylum seekers have been allowed to challenge that decision. So they're banking quite a lot. They're putting a lot of their eggs in one basket, and that basket is Rwanda at the moment. And this bill, introduced by Suella Braverman, did win support in Parliament. It was backed by MPs in April, but it is still seen as very controversial by many other people in the country. Just explain again why people are are unhappy about it. Unhappy for lots of different reasons. A, because there is the argument that it breaches Britain's obligations under under international law, so that is the UN Refugee Convention of 1951, by barring people uh, the the right to claim asylum. Um, Under international law, anyone has the right to claim asylum. 
you don't have the right to be granted asylum, but anyone has the right to arrive in a country and claim asylum. And the mode of transport, the mode of how you get there is irrelevant to your right to claim asylum. There, there's also arguments that it breaches the European Convention on human, of Human Rights on several different grounds, such as your right to liberty, because you'll be locked up for no crime, just for the offence of claiming asylum. So international obligations is one. Another thing that the bill proposes is to bar those who arrive illegally from claiming any protection under Britain's modern slavery legislation. And that modern slavery act brought in by Theresa May was seen as a beacon, a world leading piece of legislation across the world. It will bring in tougher measures to deal with slave drivers, tougher sentences for those who are committing this appalling crime of modern slavery. But it will also enhance protection for victims. And then there is the idea of detaining unaccompanied children. Detaining children was a policy that was paused and suspended by the coalition government in 2010. And this government is proposing to bring back the use of deta detention for, for even unaccompanied children who come across the channel. That has proved to be controversial for a lot of people. It's even won quite a lot of criticism from the church because it does seem to be uncharitable. Is it appealing to some of the Conservative Party's core voters? Yeah, absolutely. The bill is, I think, really targeted a lot of the voters that turned to the Tories in 2019. A lot of red wall seats, according to internal government polling, see the small boat crisis as one of the, the government's biggest failings. And they want a policy to eradicate the problem of small boats. They see that the fact that the government is going far more radically than Priti Patel and Boris Johnson did under Rishi Sunak as a real proof that Rishi Sunak does treat their priorities just like that they see them. So the illegal migration bill is seen by the Conservative HQ as a real key plank of the next general election. In a way, can we see something a bit more about Rishi Sunak's politics through this? Because he does seem to be spearheading these policies. Are we learning more about his own personal beliefs? Yeah, I think that's right. It's a really good point how it's revealing Rishi Sunak and what he really believes fundamentally. I think there's been this sort of common misconception from lots of people at Westminster that, that's about Rishi Sunak's fundamentals or beliefs. He, he is fundamentally quite a social conservative when it comes to immigration in particular. He, he was on the Brexit campaign and that included for the reasons of immigration. And what we've seen with this pledge and other pledges is that he's willing to take a gamble. I guess when you are so behind the polls that you will do, you will take drastic measures to try and regain your, your standing in the polls. But I think that it did raise eyebrows on Monday when he was so willing to start, start publicly claiming that his plan is working when it's only early June and the vast majority of crossings last year came after June. So 52% of the crossings, for example, came in July, August, September. And so come the autumn, the numbers might well be higher than they were last year. And yet you've got the Prime Minister who've, who's claiming personal credit. And so that means that he's going to have to take personal blame if the plan doesn't work. But he's willing to take that gamble. You started off by saying this was an ambitious plan. Do we think it's too ambitious? Is he ever going to be able to actually stop the boats? Well, I think I'd answer that in two different parts. It's ambitious from the reality, if you take away the politics, it's very ambitious and, yes, overly ambitious to think that you're going to go from 45,000 to zero within a two-year period and probably less than that, given the election will probably be before December 2024. Politically, it's probably not too ambitious because 
you are seeing a man who is very ambitious, very determined, and just works non-stop, unlike some of his predecessors, to try his best to meet his priorities. And he said yesterday, and he says it over and over again, I won't stop until I stop the boats. And I think the, the point about making ambitious policies is the hope that the people will see that they're very ambitious. And as long as they see that your, your plan is having an effect and maybe hasn't worked yet, if you can show that you've made a significant progress, then the idea is that you'll get the trust of the people to carry on with that plan. It could work politically, but realistically, if you take the politics out of it, then I cannot see it working. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Home Affairs Correspondent at The Times, Matt Dathan. You can find all of Matt's work, including his latest reporting from Dover, at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. Although, for the added bonus of the chimes of Big Ben in the background, you'll have to rely on our podcast. If you have a story that you think we or Matt should be covering, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. The producers today were Priyanka Deladia and Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>